0: Have you ever heard the sound of freedom? Freedom, freedom, freedom? Have you ever heard the sound of freedom? freedom, freedom. You're listening to The Flipside with Noah Philippiak, connecting the reality of the gospel to the grid of life. You can support the podcast and pick up some sweet Flipside swag at www.patreon.com slash Noah Philippiak. What is up, Flipapotomai? Welcome to episode 81 of The Flipside Side podcast you may notice if you're watching on youtube that i look much clearer i am in hd today or 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 whatever it may be i finally got a new computer a new laptop i was hanging on my old computer was was like the 1995 honda civic that i once owned that was a stick shift that got 42 miles a gallon i love that car i bought it for 1100 dollars and I drove it for six or seven years, and I, I I rode I drove it until it just literally couldn't drive anymore. That was my last uh, laptop, and I, I I had to upgrade. I was I so as I've told you, I I'm working on a science fiction book, which is awesome. I'm over the 200 page mark now. I think I'm on page 207, and around page uh, 160 or so, I had to. Split the uh, Word document into two because the computer couldn't keep up with the document anymore So when I would type the cursor would be behind what I was actually typing so it'd be like wait for it and then it would appear on the screen uh, I've had some close calls and even some podcast interviews where I thought my computer was going to explode while using zoom and recording all at the same time so all that to say uh, let me give a big thanks to our, uh, our our patreon supporters we are up to 14 patreon supporters and as I told you post uh post post uh, let me close this out because I, i uh, let me focus a little better here. All right, here we go. Uh, what I told you post sabbatical, that's what it's called. Uh, and, and coming back, one of my main takeaways from my sabbatical was just figuring out how to make the flip side sustainable, how to do good episodes on a regular basis. And one of those things is the flip side needs to generate more income so that it can be more of a real job for me and so I can cover my overhead mainly hiring a producer, but the income also helps me upgrade equipment. There may, there may uh, by next episode be a new microphone in studio so that I won't have this giant Uh, pop filter that covers my face for those of you that watch on YouTube. Then I won't be able to do this anymore. So anyway, just a big thanks to the Patreon supporters. We need to keep that growing, but I want to say a huge thanks to the 14 that we have. Special shout-out to Sam, who came in as our 14th Patreon uh, patron. Once we get to 15, yes, I will, as long promised, grow out the long, uh, long, as in this way, handlebar mustache, I will. I will. My promise to you is, I will wear it for a week, and it will be a week that I'm preaching. So I will preach in a giant handlebar mustache. It will be on video and on Mosaic Church of Grand Rapids live stream for for your viewing entertainment. So we just need one more. You can go to Patreon.com/slash Noah philippiac uh when you do that you'll get some sweet flip side swag like this mug that i have here my third favorite podcast is the flip side we have some non-goofy swag as well if you're more interested in that shout out to angry brew that is inside of this mug right now actually chris's blend from five lakes and encourage you to head over to as i'm wearing on my shirt angrybrew.com Pick up yourself some Chris's Blend or Angry Brew. Use promo code FLIP and you will get 10% off your order supporting a great Christian-owned company as well as supporting the flip side in doing that. So thank you to those of you that have been buying coffee uh, from Five Lakes for the flip side. All right, so uh, outside of those important things, uh, we're going to jump into a topic today on unpacking Purity culture. This was a, a requested topic that came in from the podcast survey that I did recently. And uh, and it's a good question because the term purity culture, I can't wait till I don't have this pop filter in front of me anymore. Uh, the term purity culture, you've heard around, maybe. And a friend of mine recently described it as a new boogeyman term within, you know, the Christian subculture that we live in, the blogosphere, the bookosphere, the podcastosphere. And boogeyman, uh, what that means is, you know, I've often heard critical race theory talked about as a boogeyman. And uh, Chase Stansel and I broke down critical race theory uh, maybe in episode 50 mid 50s go check the mid 50s and you'll hear that but basically it's a phrase that not everybody knows what it means people kind of make up their own definition of what it means and then they attach a lot of meaning to it that doesn't really mean that and 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 so uh this is a a young friend of mine that i know via beyond the battle and and uh, he was asking me about it and and for good reason was kind of saying man it feels like when people talk about purity culture they're just throwing out all things purity as if it's okay to look at pornography, premarital sex is is fine, you know, and all these sorts of things. And and so I just want to unpack purity culture in this episode and that's what we're going to be talking about here in episode 81. And to start out with, I'm not I'm not critiquing any books out there on purity culture. I do not have the bandwidth to read uh, all the new books that are coming out. This is not my full-time job. Doing the flip side, uh, I am a pastor, planting a church, and writing as well. And so, uh, this uh, this is my thoughts on purity culture as someone who grew up in it. So I'm 40 years old, and again, just take all this as podcast. I love podcasting because this is not footnoted. This is not. This is not. Uh, you know. Uh, this is just my thoughts. And, and so I'm saying, when, when I hear people talk about purity culture, it's typically millennials, later millennials like myself. So people that currently would be in their mid 30s, maybe early 30s. I'm 40 years old, so certainly early 40s, mid 40s, you know, in that ballpark. Those of us that grew up in the church as teenagers in the 90s, uh, early 90s, mid 90s, late 90s, give or take a few. And uh, what, what, what we were taught in youth group, and and and, uh, and me and and those you know that I'm that I that I work with now, and certainly I've worked with dozens of men. I've worked now with over a hundred men that have gone through our beyondthebattle.net online small groups. Always encouraging you guys to check that out. We're getting a new website as well. Shout out to that, which should be up here in a few days. Uh, but this is I, I talk to a lot of guys about their sex lives, about their struggles with sexual sin. Uh, unwanted sexual behavior, single guys, married guys, uh, and, and the like. Uh, a book that I'm going to reference a, a little bit is The Great Sex Rescue by Sheila Ray Gregoire, uh, Rebecca Gregoire Lindenbach, and I had it up here and Amazon took it away, Joanna Sawatsky. Uh, a, a very good book. It's a, it's a book that does not mince words. Uh, they critique a lot of popular books that are out there And, but essentially what they did is they surveyed thousands of uh, Christian women, mostly evangelical women, and they took the, they they asked questions about their sex lives, and then they asked questions about, I believe they're all married women that they surveyed. They asked questions about their sex lives, and then they asked questions about what they were raised with around sex. And so it was essentially women that were raised in purity culture. That, and that has certain identifiers. And for me, as a guy, to, it was a, g- a great read to to read and and being empathetic towards women uh, that are that are married to husbands that were raised in purity culture and women themselves that were raised in purity culture. And I'll reference a blog post by uh, Sheila Ray Gregoire in a moment uh, that talks through the uh, some some of the identifiers of what Sheila. Would count as purity culture. So, what is purity culture? Ten essential ingredients, and we'll pop that into the uh, show notes as well. But first of all, let me. So, let me go over just some of the bullet points of uh, my take on purity culture. So, you uh, there. There is a lot of body shaming for women, and so this idea to cover up your body. It was. It was put on women that that women. We're essentially responsible for men's lust. So this idea is, men are out of control um, in their lust, and they, they if you wear something revealing, they're they're going to lust over you. So you'd better you'd better cover yourself up. And in that message, the message was your body is bad, and that's a that's a great a greatly internalized message that that was in, uh, enmeshed into women in their teenage years. And on into their into their adult years, uh, the um, the Great Sex Rescue book that I talked about in their research, they found that uh, evangelical women have lower libido, have a lower sex drive than the standard, you know, non-Christian woman that's out there. And the research showed this is because of purity culture teaching that whenever your their sex drive would have been aroused in their teenage years or single years they were always taught by purity culture to to stop 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 shut it down shut it down shut it down bad 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 and so uh that that created and it's it's written much more scientifically and are and more articulate in in the book uh but that that created the the body uh, actually having uh for some now physical pain uh during sex and and so um, the book talks a lot about that and and Sheila has some great resources on her website which is baremarriage.com uh b a r e uh, and and again that'll be that'll be in the notes uh, but some great resources if you're one of those women and and that's one of her great uh, one of her many uh great um aims in her in her her writing uh ministry is to help, you know, help women that have been affected by that to um be able to, in a healthy way, uh, get some of their sex drive back. But it's it's uh, what we're doing now is we're looking back at the ramifications of of purity culture on men and women today. And so for me, so I reference some of Sheila's work as a woman. Uh, the Great Sex Rescue surveys thousands of women. It's uh, they they have a new book coming out. Uh, I don't have it in front of me. Uh, maybe I can, I'll try to find that. I'm sorry, um, but it's a new book coming out for girls today and they just have they have really have a passion to help women uh, you know be taught the right things that many were that were taught the wrong things For me as a guy uh, I can speak a little bit into what we guys were taught that was wrong and and how those two things uh, interplay uh, interplay together um, for for all of us men and women you know the the sex was put out there as really the reason to get married sex, within marriage was the solution to your your sex drive so for for, so so for example you know you want to look at porn just wait and get married you want to mess around with girls you know i'm talking as a guy uh don't wait you know wait until get married um but it wasn't just wait until get married so what you have to understand about purity culture is that with with you you may or may you may have been exposed to this in different increments, but uh, a, a hugely influential book uh, around purity culture was Josh Harris's "I Kissed Dating Goodbye," and the basic premise of "I Kissed Dating Goodbye" was you didn't do anything physical while dating; it was called courtship instead, and the your first kiss was going to be on your wedding day. With your spouse now, I did not ever read "I Kiss Dating Goodbye," so I cannot give you a blow-by-blow a blow of the details of the book and how that whole process worked. I can tell you, there was a girl that I liked in my youth group uh, that evidently had read "I Kiss Dating Goodbye" because I I was interested in her and, in my awkward teenage way, asked her out, and she said no because she was reading "I kissed Dating Goodbye," or maybe. She was just using that as her excuse, right? That was a convenient way to shut a guy down that you weren't interested in. (laughs) Uh, But uh, Josh Harris uh, since uh, has essentially uh, recanted that book. He's apologized for it and all the damage that it did. Uh, Josh Harris, uh, there's an interview with Josh Harris at the end of the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast series by Christianity Today. So that was a super popular podcast a year or two ago. I've talked about that previously on here. But go to the tail end of that feed and, and Josh Harris, if I remember right from that interview, is not even a Christian anymore. Or or maybe barely a Christian. And he used to be a mega church pastor uh and and wrote and wrote this book and has sincerely apologized again for the content of the book. But what what I found is uh because of of the some people were were more influenced than others by that book uh, for me I, I wasn't really influenced by it directly maybe i was indirectly um, maybe people that were teaching me were were, were reading that book uh, but that's a really extreme stance within purity culture it was wait until wait until uh wait sex needs to wait until marriage and nothing else nothing else can happen before then so that's really extreme when i say extreme you're basically saying not only sex can't has to wait until marriage but kissing has to wait until marriage and there was this uh slippery slope idea that anything was dangerous because it would lead to the next thing and so uh as a result i don't know i I just i just i guess instead of analyzing that completely here i just want to lay it out there that that's that that's what it was doing And that's what it did that's what that's what it was teaching and i know people that 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 waited to kiss you know until they were married so within that again not having read that book i don't know if this was within that book or if these were just metaphors that were picked up on and 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 recycled around you know youth ministry circles but it was common to be taught and if for men and women uh but um I don't know it feels particularly damaging to to women in this in this idea of your 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 virginity being the in the the article what is purity culture 10 essential ingredients um Sheila Gregoire she she breaks this down well distinguishing the difference between uh still affirming that sex is meant to be within marriage but I'll have to see let me see if I can if I can find it um the uh the vast, the, the huge focus on virginity, that it wasn't even about purity, and purity has to do with your faith in Jesus. It has to do with virginity. And so the idea was, if you weren't a virgin, you were damaged goods. So the metaphor that I remember hearing growing up was presenting yourself to your spouse on your wedding day as a virgin, and not just a virgin that hadn't had intercourse, but hadn't done anything with anybody else it was like presenting them with this beautiful gift that was unopened the wrapping paper was beautiful the 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 bow on it was beautiful and and that was the gift you were giving to them and the the greater that gift was the greater you would enjoy you know sex on your on your wedding day and anything that you did with other people or even with that person prior to marriage it was like tattering the wrapping paper and and to the extent that if you had had sex, it was completely taking the wrapping paper off. It you know it had happened, it, it, and and it was now this damaged gift this, that that you were giving to somebody. Uh, another metaphor I've heard more recently, you know, in podcast interviews and things like that, is a similar metaphor about a flower that would be wilted, and if you weren't a virgin, if you or and or you had done other things um before marriage, that it was like a damaged flower, a wilted flower, a flower that didn't have uh, all the petals on it. And it's first of all, none of that is in scripture, right and, and 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 what what purity culture did in that sense is it just added this incredible amount of shame onto uh, any teen that had done anything and uh, and had uh it 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 negates the whole idea of grace, Grace in your faith in Christ being, the stuff in your past is not held against you. It's about going forward and understanding moving forward. Yeah, this is God's design for sex, and here's why. With Without it, you know, what other sin could you talk about in that sense that if you committed that sin, it's like you're permanently damaged. You're permanently scarred. You're permanently marred, let alone men and women that were sexually abused, that were raped, and then are told, uh, there's some, and if you read the extreme stories, and they're certainly out there, the it's 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 sobering and staggering the the type of abuses that occurred within this culture to the point that women married their rapists because of being taught that that what mattered was their virginity and or you know not having. If 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 you had sex with this person, you just could not take that to your wedding day with somebody else. And so, this is just some of the components, um, some of the pieces that are around this idea of of uh, purity culture. For me, as a as a guy, what that did to me is the the idea of sex as the reward that you get married basically to have sex was. It's It never taught me not to objectify women. And there's a whole chapter in this, or two chapters in this, in Beyond the Battle, if you want to dive into it deeper. But the the it was like, you want to look at porn, you want to objectify women, you want to, you know, um, whatever, mess around with girls, you want to have sex before marriage. Don't do that. Instead, get married. And have sex with your wife, and it was this idea, though no one ever said it directly, that a wife was a sex vending machine. And if you read the Great Sex Rescue, I mean, I'm not sure they use that language. That's a term that I've that I've used in, in articles and things, um, but it's it's very very much in line with the research that they found, where wives are being raped by their husbands, essentially. Wives can't say no. Uh, wives are taught by the church that it's, they don't have sex with their husbands. Their husbands will go look at porn, so it's up to them. It's, again, the wife's responsibility to make sure their husband's not looking at porn by having as much sex with him as they want. And again, there there's extreme cases out there that should wake us up and and uh, I, I have one particular person like in real life sometimes it's helpful to know it's you, you know you read statistics and stories, but a real life couple that I was talking to, and they said that because of these teachings they they used to have sex five times a day uh, and and the the woman was taught that she had to do that as a as a submissive wife and as a wife, you know to to help her husband with these things and so for for um Tons of damage had been done to women because of that. And for guys, we, we not all of us, but I'll include myself in this. I don't think I knew what love was when I got married. Did I love my wife? Yes, I did. In the definition of love that I that I knew of. I mean, I was infatuated with my wife. I was very attracted to my wife. and And so in a sense, you could look at us and say, oh, they're He's crazy about her, but that's not love, right? It, I mean, love. When you're infatuated with someone, the, the the whole idea of wanting to have sex with someone, being very, very attracted to someone, that's a very selfish desire. I want that for me, for my needs, for my wants. Uh, you know, this sort of thing. That's not love. That's love is actually uh, that person's needs, that person's wants, and. We, we had to learn that the hard way. Again, I write about this in the book. I wanted to get a divorce. Uh, I was very entitled in, in what I brought into my marriage. And that entitlement came from these teachings of purity culture. The The problem is sex was talked about as, a, as the reward, and it should not be talked about as the reward. In fact, you were told in this article by Gregoire says the same thing at the end, that uh, you were told that your sex life would be, you know, amazing if you if you did it this way. If you save sex until marriage, your sex life would be amazing. And what me and many other married couples found is that sex was not amazing initially. It was challenging. You had to figure a lot of stuff out. Uh, not that this is the right way to do it, but my friends in high school, I mean, they. My friends in high school, public high school, started having sex in ninth or 10th grade and were watching tons and tons of porn, and it was very public, and guys were talking about porn on the baseball team and the football team. And sex was a very, very, very common thing, and it's even more common today. I am not at all suggesting that that is the right path. There's tons of pain and objectification and harm that happens from that. Uh, but what, what, you, what you see with evangelical couples— where there has been really no exposure to sex. And from the great sex rescues uh, research that these teachings of shut down your system, shut down your system the entire way. And then when you're married, you can start kissing. It's like you've missed these whole chapters of progression of intimacy and of your body's sex drive being something that you're used to having and handling and, and knowing what to do with. And so there's, you know, whatever it may be, I want to speak generally here, not specifically. uh, But the research shows that in uh, the research from the Great Sex Rescue shows that it's common for uh, there to be pain during sex, it's common to have low sex drives, differing sex drives, you know, all these sorts of things. And so, and i'm talking to uh, some of my friends that were married and then i start doing beyond the battle and i start seeing patterns in guys that that we that have this very you know kind of similar uh up, upbringing beyond the battle came later but in those first few years of my marriage i wanted out i wanted to get a divorce because the selfish way that i saw in high school that i was always taught was wrong well that certainly seemed better just this casual sex have sex with non-Christian women who, they they seemed, I, I lived in a college town at the time, Michigan State University in the Lansing, East Lansing area. And there was lots of sex happening all the time. And you could, you could hear these conversations. You could see the flirtation. And so when that's been your drug your whole life, uh, porn manifested just in a different way. And the, 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 I can't think. I guess it'd be the pleasure sensors of somebody, you know, wanting you, wanting to be with you, wanting you sexually. There's there's something very intoxicating about that. It's a drug, and 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 again, we were taught to just get that fix met during marriage uh, from from our wife. And I have uh, I have talked about that at length in other in other podcast episodes. Episode sixty is my. It's either 60 or 62 is my story on sex and pornography. I just did a five-minute flip. Uh, By the way, I meant to mention this earlier, but uh, make sure you're subscribing to the podcast. It's free. When I say subscribe, I just mean on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. Make sure you're getting all the episodes because I've been putting out a lot of little five-minute flips, and those are just quick 15-minute, 10-minute, five-minute episodes uh, that are that are supplemental to the podcast, and we don't really advertise them anywhere else. But anyway, I just did one of those this week on how porn is a perversion of God's gift of intimacy. And so I encourage you to check that out. So I unpack this uh, in other places, but not all sex within marriage is loving sex and even intimate sex. If it's not a two-way street, then that's not intimacy And God's gift was for us to be intimate within our marriages in sexual and in non-sexual ways. So that was, I would say, one of the biggest ways purity culture damaged me was never teaching me not to objectify women and then taking that into my marriage as if marriage was the place uh, for me to objectify my wife instead of, instead of, loving my wife all right i have some notes here and they're gonna be in random order in flip side fashion but i i wanna um i wanna give some of this unpacking some of the boogeyman side of purity culture like i said at the beginning here and that is you know as we talk about so a good example going back to the uh the book i Kiss dating goodbye uh i was just reading another book that i won't mention but it it was a, a good book for the most part uh, but this one section of the book, the author was very very much uh, influenced by the book I kiss dating Goodbye Front and center his church really you know championed it as sort of a curriculum for all of their teens and you know he bought into it hook light and sinker this whole idea of not doing anything uh, with your with a girl uh, before before your before your marriage and then kissing you know kissing on your, on your, the day of your, of your marriage. And the problem with this is you're such on that extreme of the pendulum that what do pendulums tend to do? They tend to swing, you know, over to the other side and and you end up throwing out the baby with the bathwater. And that's what I want to talk about a bit here as we talk about the real dangers and not just dangers, but the damages of purity culture. It doesn't mean that we throw out uh, the baby at the bathwater on some of the things the Bible did talk about. That were taught wrongly, but it doesn't mean that we need to stop teaching them altogether. So, in this particular book, uh, he had a very, um, he really talked about pornography as if it were kind of as trite as the teaching of don't kiss, you know, don't kiss a girl, don't make out with a girl before marriage, Uh, you know, kind of looking back at that, ha ha, isn't that, look at the damage that that did look at the repression that that it, it made you know men and women repress in all these different ways versus and 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 so the idea was porn is just this normal natural thing for teenagers to be involved in, for young adults to be involved in. I got the sense maybe for any single a person who's single um, to be looking at porn is no big deal and there was a mockery of accountability groups and just kind of a, a mockery of porn because of purity culture. Uh, I, I saw a Twitter account of a progressive pastor, I won't mention the name, but, but hip, cool, uh, you know, progressive, and progressive in that sense, and, and certainly theologically would go beyond scripture uh, in ways that I'm not comfortable with, And uh, but they're, they're pinned tweets. So you choose what tweet you wanna pin on your Twitter account. And it stays at the top. It's the one that gets the most attention. And their pinned tweet was something along the lines of, again, I'm purposefully not quoting, and I'm just paraphrasing. Was asking his audience. It was a guy uh, asking his audience, kind of, what are your what are your most ridiculous purity culture, uh, what are your most ridiculous purity culture examples? Uh, and he said, mine is something about when his parents. Put Covenant Eyes on all of their devices. Now, as you know, I I endorse Covenant Eyes. I love Covenant Eyes. Covenant Eyes is a huge helpful tool in my life that helps me to not look at pornography. And he's making fun of Covenant Eyes. He's making fun of the fact that his parents uh, put it on on their on their computer. The context of his tweet uh, was definitely meant to make a mockery of Covenant Eyes and a mockery of this idea that a a. Uh, anyone should use it or that a parent should use it to monitor what their kids are looking at as if it's great and healthy and there's no damage being done, you know, for 15 year olds to have unlimited access to all the porn that is on the internet. Um, You know, it's just, I have to stop and go, we've, we've, there's obviously a trend here that has, I didn't put this in my notes, but I remember uh, there's a, there's a Lutheran, uh, is it pastor or priest? She's a lady. Uh, she's very, very, uh, I guess progressive is the right word. I can't remember her name. She has like three names, so like an abbreviation. She's got tattoos all over her. Um, and she collected, what, what were those called? Promise rings from purity culture women that had promise rings. And she built a statue of a vagina out of it. So you can Google that. Uh, if you want to see a vagina statue made out of purity culture uh, rings, purity culture rings, what I meant was promise rings. And again, it's just this idea of really mocking, um, mocking. So then again, promise rings are a whole thing in and of themselves. But we hear that. And my friend with the boogeyman comment was when I hear those things, what I hear in between the lines of all of that is sex with before marriage is totally fine. Pornography is totally fine, and it's to a point now where if you were to say anything about it, if I were to say something about sex before marriage and what the Bible says about that, or something about pornography, you could easily be looked at, uh, looked down upon, and go, "Oh, purity culture." Hashtag purity culture. That's the idea of some of this, uh, some of this boogeyman stuff. And I'm certainly not saying that that all authors are doing this when it comes to the way that they approach purity culture. I'm just saying. This is one of the things that I see on a macro level. Uh, sometimes, when purity culture is talked about, both in the things that are said and then some of the things that are implied, there, there's this idea that all bets are off, and let's never, uh, let's never talk about it. And I, and I will say that hardly anyone talks about saving sex for marriage anymore. And there's probably a fear behind talking about some of those things because there's. There's truly uh, damage that was done in these teachings. And so we have to be really, really careful and nuanced in the way the way that we talk about these things. Because I don't think we really know how to navigate that middle space, the, the middle space of, you know, you have the extreme, you can't even kiss until you're married. And sometimes it's it's easier if you're in leadership to just give something really concrete like that. Because when you start getting into the gray area, now you go, oh, "I could be right, I could be wrong, I don't know." So then you go to the other extreme, the all bets are off extreme, and it's just really hard to navigate the middle space. Uh, my my point to some of this is there's still scriptures that are out there that we have to deal with and work through and apply to our lives. Uh, one of the one of the uh, the scriptures that I often Talk about when it comes to God's design for sex is First Corinthians six twelve through twenty, and it talks about uh, quotes Genesis two twenty four that uh, marriage is a man and a woman coming together to become one flesh. A man leaves his father and mother, unites with his wife to become one flesh. And elsewhere, I've talked at length about what one flesh means and looks like. If you want to hear more, I just did a series on this uh, at my church. Look up Mosaic Church of Grand Rapids. Depending on when you're looking at this would have been May of 2023. We did four sermons uh, in a God in Sex series. One of them is called God's Design for Sex. But in verses 15 and 16, Paul says, if you unite yourself with a prostitute, which in Corinth would have been the way of having casual sex, there was lots of temple prostitution going on at the temple of Aphrodite. If you unite yourself uh, with a prostitute, he said, should I do that? He says, never, verse 16 do you not know that he who unites himself with the prostitute is one with her in body for it is said the two will become one flesh. And it's this idea that it's not just modern day prostitution it's this was the casual sex of the day and when we unite when we unite ourselves in body with someone we become one flesh. And you can see how that that message even could get taken and could be abused it could be used to to uh attach all of these awful metaphors to and ignore grace and all these things, which we cannot do. We have to treat this teaching just like we would any other teaching of scripture within the balance of grace and our past and our future. And and when we mess up and when we stumble and when we fall and you know, all these, all these sorts of things, but we have to still look at it and say, okay, God's design for sex is still one flesh. You also have to look at it and say, people got married back in the first century when they were 13 or 14 years old when they hit puberty they had to start having kids as soon as they could and and many children died and many women died during childbirth and so having as many kids as you could as early as possible was really a part of survival and so you didn't have this long extended period of of singleness where your sex your body is sexually uh not active what's the word sexually mature that's the word i'm looking for your body's sexually mature but then there's this waiting period until marriage you you didn't really have that you did have some people that were single and certainly paul talks about singleness and jesus talks about singleness so it wasn't that everyone was married but the vast majority of people were getting married in arranged marriages and uh very early uh, and very so so you have to look at that too and take that into context and in how some of this stuff is taught and again, I think that um, you will we'll, we'll talk about some of that. Um, now, nah, I, I don't think I'm gonna go there right now. There, there's one other passage that I think gets um, gets tossed around as well. That's important uh, to talk about because the topic of modesty comes up a lot. Like I already talked about where uh, modesty was a big part of purity culture. Women, you need to cover up and not enough said to men about how to not objectify women. And I'm not a woman, and so I I do have three daughters. I'm obviously married to a woman, and I have three daughters. And so my oldest is 11; uh, she'll be 12 in November, heading into middle school. And we don't, we're not dealing quite yet with um, clothes that they wear, you know, and things like that. And I certainly will have to deal with that. Uh, I I think we 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 definitely have to be careful not to communicate the your body is a problem. Cover it up because that's going to put all this shame onto a woman. Uh, there is a passage in First Timothy uh, 2.9 that we have to take into, take into consideration. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. And, and my point here is we, we do have to look at the context. The very next verse is one of the most controversial in scripture that's widely debated and scholars have extremely different views on. Uh, that's verse 11. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. And it goes on, I do not permit a woman to teach or have uh, assume authority over a man. You can check out uh, Preston Sprinkles going crazy on this right now in a good way. Uh, Theology in the Raw uh, podcast. I just did a cohort with Preston. Uh, uh, on women in in ministry leadership, uh, specifically around this passage. And he's got some great interviews of scholars on both sides of the argument that are diving into that. But my point is, you can look at the verse on modesty and go, well, we'll throw that out because it's tied in with this cultural thing about women submitting. And so it doesn't doesn't apply anymore. Um, I would pause on that. Uh, Also, as far as throwing the whole thing out, for, for that reason. Uh, but I do think it's really helpful to look at this and say, when you look at modesty, there's a there's a much broader picture of modesty that's being talked about here. It's talking about the clothes that women wear, decency, propriety, which certainly is going to look different in different cultures. Decency, and propriety is going to look very different in the first century than it's going to look today. I, I, and I don't think there's black and white answers to this. I think there's a lot of discernment. There's going to be a lot of gray area. And different people are going to come to different conclusions. But it talks about elaborate hairstyles and gold and pearls and expensive clothes. So there was an element of wealth that was involved in this as well, where wealth and greed and materialism were being valued over, verse 10, good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. So there was obviously something going on socioeconomically, materialism-wise within the church uh at, at, that... In first timothy i think that's the church of ephesus um yes it is uh there's certainly something going on in ephesus that has to do with economics and women that are flaunting wealth and and even probably make a great sermon here that no american would want to hear about how we're not supposed to uh spend our money on these elaborate wealthy things for ourselves but instead how do we help the poor how do we you know how do we how do we uh obey what jesus says about about the poor and and all these kind of things so There's a lot going on here than just, uh, I don't know, how short is your skirt or how tight is your shirt or whatever it might be. So we need to be really actually biblical in the way that we approach these texts. But I also think that it's uh, it's wise to not throw out the baby with the bathwater as if this isn't here at all. And for me as a dad and, and my daughters, I think there's a wisdom that my daughters need to have. Uh, there, there's certainly a, a teaching nowadays. Hey girls, you can dress however you want. And some listening might say, yeah, you can, you can dress however you want. I definitely agree that it is up to a man. Uh, uh it, if a man lusts or not, it is the man's, it is the man's fault. It's the man's fault for lusting. We are responsible for objectifying, uh, the way that we, the way that we, that we see, the way that we see and analyze beauty, the way that we are able to, um, compartmentalize beauty away from lust Oh, yeah so lust being something where i'm i'm desire i i'm fantasizing i'm even lust we're gonna have different we're gonna have different uh definitions of but there's certainly a difference between attraction uh and lust there's a difference between when I, i'm talking about objectifying and beauty uh but i want my daughters to know that if you dress a certain way and i'll just leave it at that there will be guys lusting over you. There's a there's a select small percentage, minority in the population of guys like myself, guys that are in the beyond the battle groups with me, uh that are that are really working hard to retrain our brains to unlearn uh even what some of this objectification stuff that purity culture n- never untaught from us and and we're we're trying really hard to work on how do I make sure I don't objectify women? How do I see women with full dignity? Uh, That's beyond just not looking at pornography. That's beyond just not um, physically, uh, you know, all the sexual abuses that are out there. Certainly, those things need to be dealt with. But I'm just talking about the mindset of it. Most guys are not fighting against that mindset. Most guys are just going for You can watch it happen. Uh, if, If an attractive woman runs by maybe jogging on the side of the road or walks by in an attractive dress or something... Look at the guys around. Look at the guy in the car uh, at the stop sign. Look at where his head... I mean, he'll just follow her the whole way. He'll just follow... I mean, it's like the, it's not even... We don't even try to hide it. We're just... We, being guys in general, are just doing this stuff uh, outside of a very small minority of guys that are saying, I, I have self-control over this. I have help to strengthen me in this. I'm working on this. This is where I want to be. I want to view women you know, the way God wants me to view them. So there's a, I think it's okay to, oh, this is tricky, right? This is really, really tricky. And this is where we don't want to go because I, I, I never want to teach my daughters or any woman that it's their fault that any man would do anything to them. Uh, it's not. There's a reality to uh, the depravity of our world And the mindset of guys out there and there's even there is there is danger there 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 can be danger right there there's danger out there and i think these conversations need to be had amongst women and it's it's okay for a dad to talk about it with their daughters as well um and and it's it's not a matter of your body is bad it it, there there's uh I wasn't sure I was going to go here on the podcast, and now I'm here. <laughs> and so um, I just – I don't think there's a – I think – I don't think there's a black and white answer to this. Let me just, let me just say that. But I, I don't think we should go one extreme or the other. I had someone – let me give you this example. I posted a blog. A friend of mine reached out and said, you should take that blog down. And they they said there'll be women that we really upset about that about that blog. And I just I was thankful for them. I interacted with them a little bit, and uh, this was years ago. And I remember a comment they made. They said they said you know if someone like like this person's sister who who had a pretty extreme view on this read that they'd be really furious. And and she said you know her sister's view is that if a woman were you know naked in the street no. No man should objectify her. Now, in an ideal world, that's true. Whether it's you know naked in the street, maybe that's not very sexual and attract you know, uh, but but pick your context. Um, no man should should objectify her. If, if and and I think you just have to live on planet Earth too, right? So yes, agreed. Ideally, no man should do that. A man should still be able to process that woman. Even in her beauty, in a non, a non-sexual way, a non-objectifying way, uh, but w- that would not be a that that would be a very uh, dangerous p- situation to put yourself in if you are a woman, and unless you, unless. She, when I say objectify, I don't mean I don't mean rape. I don't mean touching. I mean just what guys are thinking about you. Um, so I'm not sure it's helpful to just say that's the new. That's the new. Um, I don't think it's. I'm not sure that it's helpful to say that's the new teaching. Girls, you know, if you walk around naked, which wear a wet T-shirt, no big deal. It's the it's the guy's fault if he looks at you. Um, certainly, it's going to change with culture. There's culturally, um, what's the word I'm looking for? So what I'm doing right now is I am trying to figure out how to get. There we go. I'm getting text bombed by somebody right now. And my computer is flashing text alerts at me. And it's very distracting. And I just figured out how to turn it off. Yay. Yay for turning those off. Um, Now I lost my train of thought. I apologize. Thank you to the person that just text bombed me. My phone is still going crazy in my pocket. So I just threw that over across the room. All right. Let me get my train of thought back. I apologize. This is why we are your third favorite podcast. Let me take a little sip of Chris's blend here. I was saying, um, not the solution to say wear a wet T-shirt, and you know it's it's up to the guys not to lust over you. Oh yeah, culturally, uh, I, I think this is helpful to to say. Uh, every culture and even every setting within culture is going to have its own its own standards. You know what you wear to the beach. Is not the same thing that you'd wear to school or to the mall or you know whatever it may be. Um, I, I'm not going to get into the sociology of all that. That's just that's just the way that's just the way things are. Uh, but I, I think that um, man I really got off on a rabbit trail here and I didn't mean for that to happen. Um, my point is to all these examples is don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's still a level of modesty that scripture talks about when it comes sexually, when it comes economically, when it comes to the setting that we're in, that the attire we wear uh, should fit that setting. That's the same for guys. Um, it's we, we tend to only talk about women in, in their modesty. I don't fully understand the way women are attracted to men. Um, I do think men are more visually stimulated in general doesn't mean 100% of men are and that 100% of women aren't. I think that there are some double standards within the church that I don't really understand. You'll hear, I hear Christian women talking about actors that they're attracted to. Did you see him in this? Did you see him in that? Or, you know, even the uh, Thor in the Marvel movies is like shirtless. And I had a gay friend of mine who's a Christian and, and, uh, trying to trying to follow you know God's design for sex between a man and a woman and he's like I can't watch Marvel movies because they got Thor uh whatever the actor's name is I forget um you know naked his butt is naked in one of the movies I think and uh he's always shirtless there's always these shirtless scenes with guys and I'm all over the place now um so I I'm not saying that I I think I think there's these, if you look at the statistics, and even as we talk about, we can say there's trends among men and women, amongst what's visually stimulating. I don't know if a woman is looking at Thor and then is going to go masturbate later and thinking about that thought in her head, or if she's able to look at him and say, He's attractive. I'm going to talk to my girlfriends at church about how he's attractive, or whoever, you know, Michael B. Jordan, or wh- whoever, whoever it might be. Um, there's probably, I don't know. I don't know. But I, but I know that. If it's uh, a woman in a, a movie who's naked, uh, or even in a, a bathing suit or lingerie, uh, that that is a different ball game. And some guys can look at her and not objectify. Uh, many are going to objectify, and 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 um so it's a both and. I think what I'm saying is a both and that this modesty thing needs to be needs to be a both and. And we also need to understand that, as a a rule, a rule not a rule, not as a rule, but as a statistical trend, guys are more visually stimulated than women. And maybe that's really offensive. And if it is, you, you know, let me know. Let me know and and correct me on on how to say that differently. Uh, I am a guy, and sometimes I hear, I do read things from women sometimes, and I'm like. Yeah, you're definitely not a guy. <laughs> like you definitely it's and I'm not a woman, right? So I don't mean again, I just humbly like I forgive me if I'm saying something wrong. Um but there's a way that most guys think. Not all. Uh, maybe 9 out of 10, I don't know, 8 out of 10. I I'm not I don't want to shame guys that that don't think in that way. Um I love what Greg Cole said. It certainly doesn't mean you're gay by the way if you if you don't think this way, um naturally or or maybe, you know, Got conditioned to think this way. Greg Cole's, in my last interview with him, uh, I I think it was it would have been an episode eighty. He's like, yeah, I hit puberty, and I just thought I asked him when he discovered he was gay, and he's like, I hit puberty and just thought God had spared me from the sin of lust, and uh, it wasn't until later that I or you know not too long after that that I realized, oh no, it's my you know lust tendencies are just towards men. It was uh, it was funny the way that the way that Greg said it. So um, let me try to wrap this up. Uh, I my my point to this is, and before I wrap up, I do want to read you a couple more of um, Sheila Ray Gregoire's um, her top ten. I won't read all of them to you, but uh, I'll read some of them to you. Uh, the The thing I want to say in this, and the reason for this kind of unpacking of purity culture episode, is. I think, number one, let's not become arrogant and snarky in the way we talk about this subject. Hopefully, I didn't do that today. But it's, it's, it's a human tendency to do that. So if I did, forgive me. Um, be careful not to throw out the baby with the bathwater. Uh, be super honest about the harm that the, the incorrect parts of purity culture did. And there's tons of stuff we need to relearn and we, we need to keep doing a good job of, of relearning that. Um, God still does have a design for sex. And again, we there's going to be um, adaptations made. There's going to be a, adaptations made to a 2023 context where people now are getting married like at age 30. I got married at 21, which was like a purity culture thing get married really young and it's okay if you're getting married young still there's there's statistical problems with that there's statistical problems with with marrying someone before you know even what your career is going to be before being into your career before knowing what life balancing life and a career is like for a man and for a woman within marriage versus if you meet someone and you're age 30 and you've been doing life for a while and you've your personality's kind of what it's going to be or or your tendencies or whatever, where my wife and I got married at 21 and 22. And we we had a rocky uh, several first years of our marriage. I mean, in many ways, we've had a difficult marriage up to this point that I'm very thankful for. We've had to learn to love each other, I think, in a very true biblical way, and that's been beautiful. Uh, but my point is that we cannot apply, which is what, what – um, I Kissed Dating Goodbye did, an a first century Jewish model of courtship or, or whatever it may be to 2023 and say, oh yeah, you shouldn't kiss, you should court. The f- I mean, to be 14 and 15 and be thinking about marriage, you should think about marriage in the sense that God's design for sex is marriage, uh, not this, this sort of casual, I'm going to have sex with whoever I want my whole life. Many of my friends from high school are still doing that now. You know, into their forties, and it just never, never stops. Um, I'm not saying don't think about marriage, but I don't think it's healthy to look at 14 or 15, say I'm I'm going to court this person for marriage someday. Um, you you wouldn't make huge life altering decisions at age eight. You wouldn't make huge life altering decisions at age. 13 age 14 age 15 you, you start making some at age 18 but you look back at some of the things you did at 18 19 20 21 years old and you go man i didn't know what i know now right and so my point is and i don't I, i'm not saying get wait till you're 30 to get married either i'm just saying that statistically that's what's happening for for many reasons and so we do have to figure out that's the challenge Of being pastoral is applying biblical principles. Biblical principles being God's design for sex is between a man and a woman. Within marriage, it makes you one flesh. Into a 2023 concept, a first century concept where people were having sex at age thirteen and fourteen because they were getting married at age thirteen and fourteen. The average lifespan in the first century was twenty five years old. That did include all of the excuse me the high infant mortality rate, but it's still, uh, y- y- people weren't living necessarily into their 70s, 80s, etc. cetera. Um, people were getting married really young and started having sex when they're 13, 14, 15 years old. We just have a very different world today. I do not think the answer is just start having sex when you're 13, 15, because again, these were real marriages. There was real stability and there was a very family system as well where you got married at 13, 14, but in uh jewish culture and some in some of the you know some jewish culture uh the the dad would have just built a room onto the house that the uh, the son and his bride would have moved into and you know when jesus got lost when he was 12 and he was at the temple and, and his parents didn't know where he was it's just because they thought that aunt and uncle and and uh you know cousins were, were watching him because it was a very very communal culture so again Uh, I don't recommend I'm not saying 13 and 14 year olds should get married now. Um, There's not the same support that there was back then. It's just a completely different, completely different culture uh, than it is now And the way we raise families, the way we do families, the way we do economics, the way we support uh, one another even in a woman's ability to live independently, which, which really didn't exist back in the first century either, to take that into account. So then we have to figure out how to apply it to 2023. And everybody wants to listen to the flip side and Noah tell them, you know, here's how to apply it. Or listen to your pastor to tell you how to apply it or find your favorite writer to tell you how to apply it. I think that's how we got in trouble back in purity culture. We put too much authority in someone like Josh Harris uh, or whoever it may be And we say well they said this so that's this is how we must apply it i think i think that's what we need to stop doing we there's obviously a middle ground to apply these things to today to say to say we know this is what god says uh we also can learn some things and say it is not healthy to stifle all um intimacy in a relationship i told someone recently i i I think that the level of intimacy uh, physically in a relationship should mirror the level of intimacy in the relationship uh, emotionally and even where this relationship's headed. So uh, when you're 14 and 15 years old, that's a very different type of intimacy than if you're 24 and 25 years old and at that point are seriously thinking about the people you date and the potential of marriage and just the the, the, the real idea of love and of what intimacy is. And intimacy is going to build in your relationship and i think those are things that we have to be real about and through the counsel of uh, you and the other person and some trusted friends uh you know i don't know i don't know i don't know the right answer to it but i think uh we we need to we need to be aware of what's been damaging and abusive and harmful and stop those things and we need to be also aware of the boundaries that god does put around sex and those boundaries are there for good reason too and and much of the harm and abuse that happens in our culture uh wouldn't happen if if everyone abided by those boundaries that that god you know put into play um We've unpacked purity culture. <laughs> We've unpacked it. It doesn't. It doesn't mean that it's pretty, or organized. Uh, there, there's a lot. There's a lot here. Um, let me read you a couple things off of BearMarriage.com. Uh, the article is, "What Is Purity Culture: Ten Essential Ingredients." Sheila Ray, Gregoire. Uh, this was on May eighth, two thousand twenty-three. So fresh off the press, uh, this month. Purity culture redefined purity to mean virginity. Talked about that a little bit already. Purity culture reduced one's faith to one's uh, sexual backstory. Talked about that a little bit as well. Purity culture made dating into a sin. Purity culture taught that teens were not capable of making decisions and thus needed others to do so. Purity culture made any physical contact a sin, not just sex. Purity culture taught that self-control wasn't possible especially for boys Purity culture put the responsibility for boys bad behavior on girls Purity culture saw girls bodies as inherently dangerous Purticulture used fear tactics and bribes rather than information Purity culture treated information as dangerous Purity culture was so much more than just saying wait for marriage uh, that's the end of it yeah, so um, check that out. I sincerely ask for your grace if you made it through this episode. Um, I'm trying. I, I'm not trying to answer all these questions for you. I'm trying to help you think critically. Um, yeah, I'd love I'd love your feedback as well. Um, where. Our email now for the show is via Patreon. So become a Patreon supporter. Send in your questions, your feedback, your pushback. And I would love to interact with them with you personally via the Patreon portal as well as on the next uh, the next episode. So you can do that at patreon.com slash Noah Philippiak. I hope this was helpful. I, yeah, I'll just stop apologizing for it. Um, I'm doing my best. Right? I'm doing my best. And uh, help me be better, help me do better. And I hope that this episode today helps you uh, do better and be better as well. Uh, Again, I encourage you to, uh, if you haven't checked out youtube.com slash Noah Flipyak, you can watch all of the long form episodes of the flip side, And you can also subscribe. So some of you I know are not super tech savvy, but so go to Apple Podcasts, go to Google Podcasts and uh, just click to subscribe there. You'll get all the five minute flips as well as Noah's Rant. We're doing Noah's Rant now as its own independent episodes. And those are on the subscription uh, feed, again, free, as well as onto YouTube. And so, yeah, with that, we'll wrap up episode 81. Remember, we are only one patron away from our goal our first goal of 15, our, our ultimate goal is still 20, to be financially sustainable. Uh, but 15 has been a milestone we've been shooting for for a long time. So who will it be? Who will be the one that gets us across the finish line? Could it be you? Patreon.com slash Noah Again, that is to keep this show going. Uh, love doing the flip side. Love you. Love the way the audience is growing. Thank you for listening. I will see you next time on the flip side. The flip side with Noah Filippiac is a Beyond Ministries production. Copyright Noah Filippiac. www.noahfilippiac.com. Theme music by Kyle Lake at Kyle Lake Music, used with permission. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever podcasts are found. When I finish, it's time to bring me closer. That's no purgatory, because you in or you out. When you see them in the clouds, you know it's going down. Raise them, raise them, raise them. They've been sleeping for some ages. Now all God's babies so confused by this hatred. Poor pit preacher shouldn't aim to be A-list. Money probably long, but short is what your days and you ever